You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Oh, and Merry Christmas to you. It's our Christmas episode. Revision Path is supported by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising Programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design Program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising Program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. As we've mentioned on the podcast over the past few months, these may be the final episodes of Revision Path. Now, we're still trying to raise $50,000 to keep operations going through the end of 2024. Um, As of this episode, we haven't met our goal. Uh, We've only raised about 15% of that goal. So that's along with our new subscription-based platform that we will be launching soon called Revision Path Plus should allow us to keep producing episodes through Q1 of 2024. That's uh, March of 2024. But we still need your help to keep things going. So if you're in a position to help us out, here's the best way that you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, a monthly, or an annual donation. All of it goes right back into the show. Again, a big, big, huge thanks to all of you for your support thus far. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Salih Abdul Karim. Salih is a creative director and principal motion designer at CoLab in San Francisco, California. Salih is also one of the co-creators of Lottie, the de facto standard for animation on native platforms. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. So my name is Salih Abdul Karim, and I am a creative director slash motion designer. So Salih, we're recording this at the end of the year, when you look back at 2023, if you could pick three words that would describe how this year has been for you, what would those words be? I would say confusing. (laughs) I I mean, what's the word to say that something went fast? Like swift? Swift. Okay. So I got confusing. I got swift. And maybe lastly, uh, I would say Family is what I would say would be maybe the third word when I think about this. And that has to do with both my literal family, but also like where I'm working right now has a lot of family vibes. We all take care of each other. So it always comes up. 
Do you have any goals that you'd like to accomplish in 2024? Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't have any kind of specific goals. And I, I never really been the kind of person to sit down and set goals. I've tried to do it before. But if anything, maybe my number one goal is to really try to foster even more relationships. Mm. I think that's probably the thing I think about the most right now is, you know, I got a lot of great relationships based on, you know, the 20 years I've been doing this. And I kind of have been riding the waves of those relationships for a while. Mm -hmm. And I just know that there's more out there, especially, you know, as new industries like AI come out, there's people working in it. I want to meet those people. I want to talk to them. I want to foster just some more relationships in some different, some different areas. Isn't it wild to say that that you've been in this industry for 20 years? Like, doesn't that feel wild? Like, <laughs> when you look at yeah, it's the wild. grand scheme it's of things. <laughs> it's wild and I feel hella old, man. <laughs> it's like, and then what has happened in those 20 years? Mm-hmm. It's just been such a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I think about where that 20 years started and it started in such a kind of ambiguous place where I'm, you know, getting out of school and I'm. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm trying to figure my way around it. And and again, like I still kind of feel like that today. I'm at a company where we're working with startups and I'm trying to find their way. And Mm -hmm. and the feeling almost has not changed from, from you know, I I got some experience and I have some skills I can lean on. But the feeling when I got out of school, I, I kind of still feel like that today, 20 years later. Yeah. Do you feel like the guru at the top of the mountain a little bit? Definitely not. (laughs) <laughs> definitely not I definitely do not feel like the guru at the top of the mountain and again like I can't say that I don't have knowledge or tricks that I lean on or experiences that I lean on but more often than not I definitely still feel like I really don't know what the heck I'm doing mm. and I'm I'm trying to make the best decision I can with the information I have every day it's worked out I still got a job I'm still working and I got a lot of great colleagues that I built over the years but I definitely still don't feel like the wise guru or feel like I know what I'm doing at all. Let's talk about Colab, which is where you're currently at. It's this uh, creative studio that's based out of San Francisco. Tell me more about it. Like, how did you get started there? So Colab is, like you mentioned, it's a creative studio focused in on marketing, brand design, and product design. And Colab is kind of sits within a growth equity company called Westcap. And mm-hmm. so you imagine Westcap invests in mostly tech startups. They invest in the startup. They say, okay, we're going to give you X amount of money, but we're also going to have our creative team, Colab, parachute in and help you with various things. Mm-hmm. And when I say various things, I mean, it could be almost anything. We got 22 people on the Colab team. We have brand designers, product designers, growth marketers, insights. People do insights and research to better understand companies' customers. We got me as a motion designer, creative director. We have brand strategists. We have content strategists, writers. We have PR. So we have a lot of like various skill sets. And most of the skill sets we have are exactly the kind of skill sets that like a startup shouldn't quite have yet. Mm. You know, like there's no reason for a startup to have a motion designer. But there is a reason for me to to like I mentioned, parachute in and help out with various things. There are times where we have startups where they don't have a CMO, but you know, we have these two VP of growth marketing, Maria and Diane. Sometimes they'll, they'll parachute in 
very well what a CEO does and how to work with one based on all their experience, they'll be a temporary CMO for, for a minute. Collab is really about helping startups like reach another level. And sometimes you can only reach that level when there's certain set of skills that you may not need yet. And that's what we fill that gap for. So you mentioned the team and it has all these sort of different components. I mean, it sounds like a almost kind of like a full-fledged agency. Yeah. And the only reason why we don't call ourselves an agency, and there's been a debate between us since I started. The only reason why we don't call ourselves an agency is because Number one, we don't have all the layers that agency had. Account director, senior account director, and all of the, like, I would say account services of an agency. What we have are pretty much a couple dozen people who can, again, direct projects and lead projects, but Mm -hmm. also those people also design. So we don't have, like, people who are just managers for managers' stake or salespeople or anything like that, that maybe a kind of traditional agency would have. Okay. And I guess, like you said, this coming in from the bigger partner. So everything that comes in is basically like a fully qualified lead. You don't have to like hunt down work. That's true. And and one of the things I do like about Colab is we do have a group of companies that we work with on a regular basis that come in through who Westcap invests in. But we also do take external work as well. So we do sometimes reach out to companies that we're interested in doing work for, or, you know, might be a contact that we've known that has decided to start their own company and we'll help them. So we do have external companies that, you know, again, the main difference is when you work with us, you're not really getting the same kind of, I don't know, full-fledged layered agency experience. You oftentimes are working with a smaller group four or five people, each of those people is senior enough to do the work, but mm-hmm. also to run the project as well. Okay. I got you. I got you. So when new work comes in the door, like what does the process look like? Like by the time it comes to you, I should say like, what does the process look like? So yeah, when new work comes in the door, usually, obviously there's kind of a, a meeting with, with me. I, I serve as a creative director slash executive creative director. We also have Brian Wakabayashi, who's our head of strategy. He's also kind of like our creative studio managing director. And then we have Michelle Ha, who's our operations director. So the three of us usually will meet with whoever the company is that's that is interested in collaborating. And really, we start a conversation about what they think they need, what we think we can do, and begin to kind of formulate a plan on how we think we might be able to help them. And, you know, from there, depending on what it is, sometimes I fade away altogether and they don't see me anymore because what they need is something that's more like strategy. And then we'll bring our other brand strategists in. They'll do a strategy process and that might be the end of the project. Sometimes a thing will come in, like as an example, we had a AI startup approach us to do an explainer video for them that explains their product. Mm -hmm. That was an instance where I took that project on. I brought on a designer, brought on a writer, and then Brian, our head of strategy, he disappears. Depending on what the project is, you're going to get a different combination of people from the team that really focus on the thing that you need. Hmm. Now, it's funny you, you mentioned AI. That's been a regular theme that we've had on the show probably for the past two years now. We mentioned it at least in every episode in some capacity, like how are you using AI or 
any of this other new tech like virtual reality, mixed reality, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Do you use any AI tools in your work or do you have any just kind of general thoughts about AI with motion design? Yeah, I love it. I use them, but I honestly, I more more or less play with them. Okay. I haven't yet figured out a, an exact way of how to integrate it into my like day-to-day workflow. I imagine how I hope to be able to integrate it. Like as an example, if I have a video that I've made that's 60 seconds long and it's in a 16-9 kind of TV format, I'd love to just tell AI, hey, make this into a square format for Instagram. Hey, cut this down in 30 seconds. I'd love to be able to do that and have it just do it. Mm-hmm. But as of now, more or less any AI tool that I see come out, I try it. I play with it. I play with uh, mid-journey, creating images sometimes for fun. I definitely play with chat GPT in terms of asking questions. And sometimes I'm doing writing for blog posts and I'll have a proofread, stuff like that. But I feel a little bit like I'm I'm just playing. I haven't mm-hmm. really found a way to like integrate it into my work in, in a real way. I mean, has the AI gotten sophisticated enough to do motion work? I mean, I've seen like mm-hmm. chat GPT will do text and like Mid Journey and Dolly and things like that can do images, but has it gotten sophisticated enough to do motion? There are some programs that do it. There's one called runway.ml. Okay. They have a whole suite of tools. So sometimes one of the kind of projects that I work on sometimes is like screen replacement, right? So you imagine you have this app and they need a video to show off what the app does. So obviously you need people walking around using the app and you know, you're showing footage of someone using that app. And usually what happens is I go in and I put in a new screen on top and I track it and I do what's called rotoscoping, kind of painting out the frames, the fingers in front or or whatever, and making a new screen look like it's integrated into the shot. Mm -hmm. And so this thing, runway.ml, they have a bunch of tools that can help you do that. For example, you can click on something and have it track. So if it's a footage of like a surfer on a wave, you can click on the surfer's body and it'll give you a tracking point as they move along. Then you can use that as you you know want to like put a hat on the surfer or, or whatever you want to do. So it, it has some stuff that are really kind of cool or fun to play with. But again, like I've been using certain methods for a pretty long time and occasionally I'll try to use it to replace one of my methods, but it's not quite at a place where I feel like it's going to take it over quite yet. Okay. I was curious if it, if it had the capability to do that. Cause I had a motion designer on the show a couple of weeks ago, Andre Foster. He co-founded a motion graphics design studio and production house called First Fight. And he talked about how he uses it sort of as like a Pinterest board. Like he uses it mm-hmm. for, you know, just kind of like inspiration and stuff. But then he said it inspired him enough to actually put together like almost like opening credits to a show. Not a real show, but just like, oh, let's see how far I can sort of push the technology. And honestly, it looked like something I would see on like FX or something. It looked really good. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. See, I, I'll talk to you when we're done about what that is. I need to play with it. <laughs> you mentioned this in a, a past interview that you've done. You said that motion design is so crucial to making high quality digital products on any platform. Why is that the case? The case is just because the way and this is maybe too deep and existential, right? But the way we experience all of our lives is through time, right? You walk outside, you walk down the block, that took 10 seconds, you experienced time, you saw a dog, you saw a tree, you saw the sun. The way we experience life is through time. And I know that for years, like 
people were reading books and you're allowed you using your imagination, people reading magazines. There's a very static kind of experience. It lives as that thing, like a rock just lives like that forever. But now that we have technology and, you know, smartphones are just ubiquitous, they're everywhere and you're able to actually interact with them. You put your finger on it and you move it. You're adding motion, you're adding time to the equation. And the reason why motion is so important is because it just, it helps you do something that feels more natural to what humans should be doing, if that makes any sense. So just as an example, right, if you're using, if you're on a website and you click on a button that's going to take you to another page, you know, the old school way is it's just going to slam you right to the next page. Now you have to reorient yourself and figure out where you are now. And the way I think about it is motion can actually help you bridge those two things. It can help you understand where you were. It can help you understand where you went, where you're going. And it just creates a more natural experience than just kind of blinking and now you appear somewhere else. That makes sense. Now that you put it that way, it is something that I think humans are used to that. They're used to motion. And also so many things now are skewing towards video and that's nothing but motion. So it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense to still put those sorts of animations and interactions in most types of applications because that's just what we expect now. Totally. And it's not a surprise that TikTok is as popular as it is with videos, right? Yeah. Like we love to look at things that move. It feels good. In addition to help you understand how a UI might work, Motion just helps you add emotion. We are all emotional. You feel happy, you feel sad. And the things you interact with, you want them to give you that same thing. So when something you interact with has a little bounce to it, it gives you a feeling, oh, this is supposed to be fun. When something you interact with has a smoother nature to it, elegant, oh, this is supposed to be classy, right? So it helps you give emotion to digital products, no matter what the devices are, whether it's on a phone or AR or VR or whatever. Motion adds emotion. I like that. That's good. 100%. <laughs> Let's kind of switch gears here a little bit and learn more about you. Like, I'm curious on where this sort of spark for design and animation sort of came from. So tell me more about like where you grew up. I grew up in the DC area, kind of moved back and forth between DC and Philadelphia. And growing up, we always had the latest game thing you know like i'm dating myself here i'm old man but we (laughs) used to have the texas instruments or we used to have the uh, atari 500 or we used to have all these old game systems when i was like a little kid and i loved playing with them but i also had this curious mind where i would try to like take it apart i would say what's in here so i would get a screwdriver i would open up the back my mom would come in the room a week later she'd be like why is the cover off of the Nintendo? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, I just want to see what was in there. Right. So I, I actually had a Nintendo that did not have a cover that I played for years because mm-hmm. I, I actually, I couldn't figure out how to put it back, put the thing thing back on. I just have a love of technology. Like a lot of people. And you know, I used to build my own computers when I was in middle school and high school. I, I'd buy the Ram, I'd buy the motherboard. I'd build them from scratch. It was just a fun thing. And when it's time for me to go to college, I thought, okay, let me try to do computer science. I'm going to learn how to program. I'm going to build, make games, something like that. And my first year, at the end of my first year, I had a 1.2 GPA. Ooh. And that was because the math was destroying me. Ooh. We had, had like this calculus or calculus too. And I just, 
I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. And not only that, at the time, I just didn't know how to learn. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know how to sit down and study. I didn't necessarily have the discipline yet to like really push through. I didn't know how to tell my homeboys, like, you know, I can't go out with y'all. I gotta, I gotta get this computer science work in. You know what I'm saying? So I just ended up almost kind of flunking out of school. And there's a story I've told before that one evening, my dad came, I used to live in my parents' basement during college. Mm -hmm. My dad comes downstairs. He's like, bro, we saw your grade. Like, look, we don't care what you're going to do, but either do this right or don't do it at all. And then he closed the door and walked upstairs. Damn. And it, and it was just a <laughs> note that like, we don't care what you do. We're going to support you, mm-hmm. but don't just like do something and be flunking and failing out. Yeah. So I had a moment where I had to really say like, is this, am I going to really try to like do this or am I going to look for something else? And the school I went to, George Mason, they had a uh, digital arts degree. It was basically a degree to help people make art using computers. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, well, let me do that. That seems kind of cool. They have a class in Photoshop. They had a class in After Effects, which is wild that I still use After Effects today. And then they have a class in 3D program that doesn't exist anymore. And I took those classes. I was in the art department. I was learning about our history, critical theory, critical thinking. And I was really kind of enveloped in the art world through a technology lens. And from there, I got straight in, you know, so that shift enabled me to kind of see how I could bring some of my creative mind and technology together. So my senior year, I started to find these uh, motion design companies all around the country that were doing these awesome commercials. And, you know, commercials would be animated with all these awesome graphics and characters. And I said, you know what? I want to do that after school. So after college, I packed up my little car, a little Acura, and I'm, I drove up to New York and I moved up there and I was knocking on doors. I had a little DVD. So funny. My kids, they saw some of my old DVDs in the garage. They were like, what's this? Like DVDs, we <laughs> don't even use them no more. But I had my old DVD that I made. I burned it and it had my, my reel of student work. And I'm like walking into these shops trying to get work. And, you know, luckily I had this. He kind of became, you know, my first mentor. He's a, he's a creative director at BET right now, Kendrick Reed. Mm-hmm. And I uh, walk into his office, you know, and, and it was amazing again to see somebody like me, six foot something, black man, bald head, and he's super fashionable guy wearing, wearing cool clothes. I was like, okay, I see. So I walk in his office and he's like, so tell me, what, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, I, I love desire, I love animation. At the time, he was the creative director at Comedy Central. Okay. And so they had a department at Comedy Central that made commercials for Comedy Central that aired on Comedy Central. So that was the department that he ran. He's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, well, eventually I want your job. You know, like I want to be creative director at some place with a team like this. So he kind of laughed and he gave me my first job Mm. out of college. I was there for a couple of years built some good relationships with some folks. I ended up going freelance after he left. I was kind of sad when he left. So then I left after he left and I ended up going freelance for about, I don't know, eight or nine years after that. And I was just designing and animating wherever I could get in the door, design shops, ad agencies, TV networks like HBO, Showtime. Yeah. You know, I just would, would get in wherever I could. And 
it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And some of the people again, I met back then are still in contact with today, even though I'm kind of on the other side of the country, you know, I'm doing something a little bit different. That was a really important part of kind of what led me to what I'm doing today. During that time that you were, were doing all this freelancing, I mean, yeah, you were at a, a bunch of different studios, a bunch of different places. Like, do you feel like there was something that you were trying to attain? Like, were you trying to get to Kendrick? Like, were you trying to get to his position in terms of moving up the ladder or moving up in your skills? I think the thing at the time, those 10 years, what I really wanted to do was learn how to make my work good. Like, I would make something and then I would go see someone else's project. And it was very clear to me that like mine wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. My whole thing for that 10 years was I need to figure out how to make something good. Cause I see this person over here is crushing it and mine doesn't look like theirs. Why doesn't mine look like theirs? And you know, in the industry at that time, it was a lot of late nights and everybody worked from like 10 to eight. We went out afterwards and come back to work the next day and do it. So it was a lot of hard work, but that was really the thing I thought about the most was like, why isn't mine as good as that other person? It was more of a creative pursuit to make something that I felt was equal to the people that I admired at the time. Mm. I mean, I'm kind of trying to also place this just like chronologically. So this was really during the time, I'm guessing this is like the early 2000s, like early 2000s to 2010s mm-hmm. pretty much. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, 2002 to 2011. Yeah. I mean, during that time, like even if you just like step back and look at the web, think about how much the web had changed from 2002 to 2011. And of course, that would end up invariably being reflected in media and advertising and publishing, Mm -hmm. you know, because computers are now taking over as like the primary way that you do design and the technology is getting better and the browsers are getting better and all of a sudden now we're using CSS and now we have to change what we thought we did before with tables mm-hmm. into something new. So there was always something new. Like I, I think back at that time and just, it felt like there were like new discoveries or new ways of doing things. Like every month, it felt like it was something new and you had to keep going. You had to keep making mm-hmm. stuff just to catch up. Like you couldn't really rest on your laurels during that time because of just how fast things were progressing in the industry. Oh yeah. That's a hundred percent true. So after you were doing all of this freelancing and everything, you ended up as a motion graphics artist at square and you were there for, I think roughly about three years. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And square was the first place that I ever worked. Number one, that was the startup, mm-hmm. but number two, that had like a physical product. All the things I had done for the 10 years before were all advertising and marketing for TV shows, you know, Mm -hmm. and the shows have people and, you know, Dave Chappelle show. And so, like, it was interesting to be at a place that they had this little square card reader. And not only that, they had a whole team that worked on it. They had a team that worked on the box. They had a team that worked on logistics of where the parts come from. They had a team that worked on every aspect of this little physical device. And so it was the first time where I I worked at a company like that, that I could actually get a peek inside the technology. I mentioned earlier, like I was taking apart my Nintendo because I was curious what's in there. And so it was really fun for me to be around people who were kind of making things from the inside out. I think that it was mostly, again, like I mentioned, a little bit, a little bit scary and daunting 
it was comforting that I was on the video team at this company. So I was still making videos. But when I would go into a meeting with the group who was responsible for the launch of the new Square Reader, and they're talking about engineering challenges, and I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I feel a little bit lost and confused. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I could rest on was like, okay, I'm, I'm still here to do the thing I came here to do. That doesn't mean I can't learn about what they're doing. But um, that became my challenge at Square was like, how much can I learn about what they're doing? what they're talking about that can help me do my job better. Mm. And then after that, you ended up at Airbnb, where you started off as the company's only motion designer. I bet that had to be pretty daunting, especially at that time when Airbnb was really starting to take off. Yeah, definitely. And so when I was at Square, I met, like I mentioned, I was in a room with all these other functions, physical engineering, but also product designers. Yeah. And there were a couple of times when I was at Square where I collaborated with the product designers. Oh, I would do an animation for the Square's website. One of those product designers, Jason Mamro, who I still work with today, he left Square and went to Airbnb. So he's on Airbnb's product design team. And at the time, their head of design, Katie Dill, she was like, well, you know, thinking we probably should get a motion designer. And everybody's, all the product designers are like, yes, let's get a motion designer. And Jason luckily threw my name out and I ended up kind of coming in, interviewing for the role. And it was funny, my first week, I'm sitting with my manager. And since I'm the first motion designer, it's not exactly clear how I'm going to plug in. So Mm -hmm. he asked me, he said, well, what should you work on? I was like, what do you mean? What should I work on? You should tell me what I should work on, right? (laughs) And he's like, well, no, like. Since we, we, we never had a motion designer, you have to help us understand what you can do as well as us telling you what we need you on. Mm. So it kind of opened my mind up to like, oh, this is the kind of a role where I kind of get to help create it. And it's not so cut and dry exactly what I'm going to be doing all the time. Mm-hmm. If I see an opportunity, I can pursue it. If I see something I think I can help out with, I can go help. And likewise, people who think I can help can contact me for help. What were some of those early things that you were doing? So I remember when I first joined, they were about to launch the Airbnb Apple Watch app. And you mentioned earlier how like everything always changing. So I was very much used to like working on animations that were for TV. And the Apple Watch screen is tiny. And so I think the first project I ever worked on was is the animation for the onboarding for the Airbnb's Apple Watch app. We had these little characters. I remember when the little character like tapped their watch, and then we had a little Airbnb logo. It was very cute. I think that was the first project that I ever worked on. And then from there, I remember working on they launched the Apple TV app, and I worked on an onboarding video for that, or onboarding animation for the Apple TV app uh, for Airbnb. And then from there, really, it kind of honestly it spread out to so many different things. Sometimes. I was doing the animation for for either the website or the app, but other times it was prototyping UI. Okay, we need a prototype. We got a meeting with Brian Chesky in three weeks. We need to put together a prototype to articulate like how we want this flow to go. Or it was Brian Chesky has a presentation about this new feature and he needs an animation for his presentation mm-hmm. that shows what the UI is going to do. And they still do this today when you see... Airbnb's launches, you know, they have a motion, a couple motion designers now 
that uh, they do this all the time where they're making prototypes for presentations. So, you know, I used to kind of do a, there were probably like a dozen different things, ways that I would help out just depending on the time and what was going on at the company. Man, I mean, it sounds like you really had your hands full because I know that as Airbnb was growing and I said, like you, like you said, the tech was also changing too. I mean, did you feel like you were stretched thin? I mean, did they eventually hire more motion graphics designers? Yeah, eventually we hired another one, maybe on my third year, we mm-hmm. hired another one. Then he kind of subsequently left. So then it was just me again. But, you know, I, I used to tell everybody there were 60 product designers on the team. The 60 product designers to one motion designer. I used to tell everybody, like, I'm just one person. So I'm going to do what I can and everything else is not going to happen. And everybody, again, everybody was very understanding the culture that we had at Airbnb at the time. You know, it was real friends and family vibes. Like, it wasn't like people were like, oh, man, you're not doing his job right. Everybody knew that there's no way that one person could do everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of teams, it was like, even me helping a little bit was going to be better than not helping at all. So they would ac- accept any level of engagement that I could that I could give. Everybody's really understanding that's good because I've definitely worked at some places that are not that. <laughs> that is definitely the opposite yeah. where if you're the person that does it, they expect you to always be the one to do it. No matter how many times you're like, I need help. No matter how many times you're throwing out a life preserver, they're like, oh, you got it. You're good. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm drowning over here. Can you help me? So while you were at Airbnb and like you said, they ended up eventually building out the team some more. You were on a team that launched Lottie which is an open source tool that adds animations to like iOS, Android, native apps, et cetera. How did the idea for Lottie come about? So I mentioned earlier that one of the first things I worked on was the Apple Watch app. Mm -hmm. I had these little characters animating and the way I delivered it, that delivered the animation to the engineering team was, I'm pretty sure it was a sequence of PNGs. My engineering partner, iOS engineer, he had to build a way for the app to play those PNGs in sequence. I think it was like 30 PNGs per animation. And, you know, for me, coming from TV, I was like, there has to be a better way for us to do this. The PNG sequence to do all our animations, the file sizes were pretty big. And I think everybody hoped for a better way, but there just wasn't anything out at the time. And I developed a really good relationship with an iOS engineer named Brandon Withrow. He was an iOS engineer, but he, he went to school for animation. So we clicked right off the bat. And Airbnb used to have these things called Hack Week, where during the whole week, you could work on anything you wanted. And I remember I approached Brandon. I said, Let, maybe let's try to find a way for us to get some data out of After Effects, the thing I animated, and get it into iOS playing somehow. Mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, let's, I mean, let's try it. What do you got? We ended up finding this tool called Body Moving. It was this engineer named Hernan Teresi created this tool that could export data out of After Effects into a file, JSON file. It just has all the da- raw data of the animation. So I send this file to Brandon. I'm like, what do you think? Body Moving's open source. Take a look at it. So he said, all right. In a couple of days, he came back and he had a blue square show up on the screen. It wasn't even moving, wasn't animating, just a blue square. And I think that 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 kind of spurred the next step, which was, okay, now he has the square going left to right. Okay, next, 
Now he has a triangle and a circle. And he, Brandon himself, just worked on features in his own time. And he got it to a point where we could do some small animations similar to the ones I did on the Apple Watch. And we could actually put it, you know, I could export it from After Effects, get the data out, put it into the iOS app. And the file size was much smaller and it was way more performant. Mm. And so we had a little thing for iOS that, that was working. And we thought, well, we have an Android app, kind of a bummer to have animations on iOS. Let's find an Android engineer that could help us. Mm-hmm. And we brought in another engineer, Gabriel Peel. He was an Android engineer at the time. And we said, well, look what, here's what Brandon has on iOS. Maybe we could do something similar on Android. And Gabe was the funniest one because he was like, I don't know. He's like, if, if we could do this, somebody would already made it. We gave him the same files and... But he did the same thing. First, he had a box, then he had a circle, then he had moving left to right. And the next thing you knew, we had an iOS and Android framework that could play these really small animations in our apps. And so we had that for, I don't know, a handful of months. And I think it was February or I think it was like December of 2017. Facebook open-sourced their version of what we had. It was called Facebook Keyframes. Mm-hmm. It was exactly the same thing. You export from After Effects, your data comes out, it works on iOS and Android. So when we saw that, we said, oh, they made it too. It wasn't open-source at the time. So I thought, oh, well, let me try theirs. And I remember exporting one of the animations that worked on ours. I remember exporting it in their format, and there was a whole bunch of stuff broken. So it was very clear to us that oh, the thing we have is a little bit better than the thing they have. So we should open source as well. So Brandon came up with the name Lottie. It's named after an animation pioneer named Charlotte Reniger. who's German. In the 1920s, she created full-length feature uh, movies. And we got the name. We open sourced it. We made a little landing page. And it just kind of took off from there. Wow. It sounds like it was a pretty organic thing, though. It didn't just sort of come. I mean, it came in a way out of necessity, but the way that it managed to sort of build out and really become a framework was really organic. Absolutely. It was really organic. And it was just lucky. It feels a little bit like the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. It was lucky that Airbnb had a motion designer at the time. It was lucky that Brandon was an iOS engineer who kind of knew about animation. It's lucky that we were friends. And he would work on his free time. It was lucky that Gabe was so talented that he could jump in and create. And and at the time, you know, we all had other stuff to work on. Our managers really didn't care if we worked on Lottie in our free time, as long as we got our other stuff done. Hmm. And so that was the vibe for, for about a year. It was, it was really a side project. And now Lottie is used like all over the place. It's used in hundreds of thousands of different applications and stuff. What does it feel like knowing that something you've created has really caught on like that and and made such an impact? It blows my mind. It really blows my mind because again, like it could have easily not happened, you know, or it could have easily been Facebook keyframes that had been the thing that really Mm -hmm. caught on. So yeah, it blows my mind. And, you know, it's just humbling to be a part of something that people like and they use it. And all Full disclosure, I'm sure someone's going to come out with something better in Lottie and then Lottie will disappear. That's just the nature of software. That's just the nature of creativity. I'm cool with that. But to have had a hand in something that people like and use 
and have been using for the last handful of years is is really humbling and amazing. Yeah, I can imagine just seeing your work make such an impact. And then, you know, to know that you were really kind of behind it in the beginning is is amazing. And like, it's not something that is, I would say, like hidden to history. Like people know that you did it. Like, it's not like Lottie just sprung forth anonymously. Like they know that you're one of the people behind it. The really the thing that I really like now is I work, like I was saying, at CoLab, I work with startups all the time. So I'll be working with a startup and they'll be like, hey, you know, can we put this animation we did, can we put this on our app? And they'll be like, you know, I heard of this thing, it's called Lottie. Like, maybe we could use that. <laughs> like, they don't know how, like, you're like talking about my child. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I know this thing so well. I helped build it. I was there from the beginning, but people don't know. And oftentimes, I don't say anything. Yeah. Say, I'm not I'm not that kind of guy to be like, well, you know, that's my thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of cute and funny to me that, you know, the thing, it's it's now coming back to me through other channels. I can imagine like you have to sort of keep yourself in check. Like, oh, like I can't. Oh, 100%. I don't, I don't want to blow my cover here, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also know too that, you know, design, motion design, it's, it's a small industry of many. Yeah. Right. And what I did, while it may be important to a couple hundred thousand people, there's probably a ton of other people that don't even know mm-hmm. about it. So it's not that big a deal. I'm not, it's not brain surgery. I'm not saving lives here. It makes me laugh yeah. when that happens. And it does happen like every couple of months, which is great to me. Is there still active development on it? There is some. So Gabriel Peel, the Android engineer, he still works on it. He still works on it. He gets requests through. And then, yeah, I think that's probably the benefit of being open source. You have other people in the community who contribute. There are other people who change the code and submit it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's still being developed. It's not, I think that for a little while, while I was at Airbnb, after Brandon and Gabe left, it wasn't really worked on internally, but there were a couple pushes internally to help develop it. So we, I remember it got changed from one language into Swift. And then I think more recently, since I've left, they've done a couple small things on the iOS side, but it's really honestly mostly being pushed outside of Airbnb. So there's a company called Lottie Files. They, they're based in Malaysia mm-hmm. and they're doing a ton of development on it themselves, bidding on top of it, building state machines on top of it, which is a complicated term. People can Google it. And they, they're, they're kind of doing all kinds of things with the format and helping develop it, develop it outside and, and mostly because it is open source. When you look sort of back at like the early parts of your career to now, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself? Maybe the biggest lesson I learned about myself is that I really do enjoy being in an environment that I don't know what's going on. Okay. Like that there's things that are new. There are things to learn. There are things I can be curious about. So for example, like I mentioned, when I joined Airbnb, I was the only motion designer on a team full of product designers and engineers none of which I had worked with before. I'd never worked with an engineer before, but it was so interesting to me. I ended up taking an eight-week coding class because, again, we were in meetings where I didn't know what they were talking about. So that part of trying to help myself understand someone else's industry to better do my job is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And now it's a similar thing at CoLab. I'm working with startups. I'm working with CEOs, CMOs, and founders. I'm understanding what they care about. Yeah. I'm understanding 
that they care about their business goals, you know? So they don't care about how the thing moves or what it looks like. Is this having an impact on the business? Yeah. So now I'm having a whole different set. And I think every few years in my career, when I start to feel like I'm pretty competent at the thing I'm doing, mm-hmm. I usually end up moving to something else that is puts me a little bit off balance. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that that is a practice that is something that more creatives, I think particularly more black creatives are starting to embrace. I'm tying this into something, I promise you. So we're recording this right now on the day that Andre 3000 just released his new album, his debut album, debut (laughs) solo album, New Blue Sun. We've I don't been know talking if, about uh, it at work all day. Oh, I really? To it this morning, actually. Yeah. What do you think about it? I. <laughs> you can you I can be honest. I mean, yeah, be be honest. I what know, do you think I, about it? I mean, I'm such a big Andre 3000 and Outkast fan. Uh-huh. Like, I'll listen to whatever they put out. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? They could put out themselves beating a, a bucket. <laughs> you know, and I'll listen to it. But the <laughs> the interesting thing I saw that they had an interview with them last night. And GQ and he was talking about like they were at the top of their game mm-hmm. and it just it loses some of its magic when you feel like you really know what you're doing and mm-hmm. I think he was looking for something different where he could feel like a beginner again yeah you know what yeah. I'm saying and uh but yeah I listened to it this morning I think it's cool I put it on while I was writing something and honestly for about 40 minutes the album's like 90 minutes long for about yeah. 40 minutes I totally forgot it was on. Yeah. And I think that's the point. Yeah. I think that's the point too. And and the reason that I was asking about this is because I think sometimes, especially when people know you for a specific thing that you've accomplished in your career, Mm -hmm. that tends to be a box that they put you in. So anything else that you do is like compared to that thing, or they expect that the next thing that you do is going to be, you know, the same box shaped thing that you've done before. So like, of course, mm-hmm. everyone knows, you know, 3000 for his lyrics, they're expecting it's going to be a fire rap out al- rap album. Right. Instead, he comes mm-hmm. out with some like Alice Coltrane, Don Cherry, Yusuf Latif, <laughs> like flautist sound bath, 90 minute journey, you know, that's like the product of an ayahuasca trip. Right. And oh, he definitely was. And like, I've been seeing some of the reviews. I mean, you know, it just came out. Like, by the time this airs, it will people will have known about it or whatever. But, but I was thinking, like, man, I bet people are gonna clown this album like they did when Solange's <laughs> last album came out. Like when When I Came Home came out, and people were like, "What is this?" Because they expected her to be in like this Beyonce's little sister kind of like Tony shaped. Solange and the and the Hadley Street dream shaped box and like she comes out with this I mean that's one of my favorite albums of like all time is her last album so mm-hmm. I think I really like what you said about you like being in these spaces where you don't know kind of like what to do or what's next and I think that's something mm-hmm. that creatives in general particularly black creatives should embrace because it locks you in a box when you're always doing the same type of thing like over and over and over in a way and as Absolutely. creatives, there's more things that we, you know, want to do. There's more ways we can sort of express ourselves, you know, like, I think Absolutely. that's a really good practice to have as a creative. And it's scary. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's scary. But I think that's part of the point. Like, that's the reason why people like roller coasters. Mm-hmm. It's kind of scary. Yeah. But that's kind of what's fun about it. 
what would you say are like your next steps of growth? Like for you as a creative, like where do you want to grow into? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think I have some knowledge from television. I have some knowledge from kind of the product design engineering side at Colab. I'm kind of putting those two things together. So I get to help startups with brand campaigns that have TV commercials, but also animations within their app. I think, you know, after talking with you about it for a little bit, it definitely feels like the thing that I butt up against most that I'm not always really sure about Mm -hmm. is really about business, business goals, right? How a business runs, how a startup runs. How do you actually make business impact? How do I use my skill in order to actually fundamentally change the direction of a business? You know what I'm saying? And I think that learning more about things like customer acquisition costs, mm-hmm. right? Learning more about measurement and research and s- strategy, I think will just help me put my work through a slightly different lens. And these are all things that I don't, at the moment, I would say I'm like a child at, Yeah, you know? But I think those are the things I'm starting to butt up against right now, especially when you're talking about talking to founders, people running companies, these are things they care about. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's probably some things I need to learn there. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's a good point. I mean, the best designers, I think, eventually end up finding out how to meld the creativity with the business and the strategy to like really take it to the next level because mm-hmm. there'll be a certain point in your career, you know, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I certainly have, where you just feel like you're the hired hand. Like you just come in to do this part of the work and that's it. And like you may or may not see what the impact of it is. It may not be privy to you or you may not be exposed to it. But like you know that you can do more like you can feel yourself kind of growing out of that constraint that you have. And so I think that's a good a good place to be is to try to learn more about the business end. And I think with Colab, you're at a, a great place to do it. You're interfacing with startups plus collab is sort of this creative arm of a like larger business entity. Like, I think you're in a great Mm -hmm. place to make that happen. I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you pull strength from? Most of my strength comes from probably just my, my curiosity. Like when I think about what am I doing? So sometimes it'll be like 11 o'clock and my whole family, my kids, my wife, everybody's sleeping. And I'm just up. Can't sleep. And I can't sleep because I'm thinking about some project that I'm involved in. It might be some explainer video where we have a script, but I think the script is not that good. So I'm really curious about looking up other scripts and good ones and seeing what they did. I'm really curious about doing like, let me do like 10 different versions of mm-hmm. this thing and see what they look like. Like that curiosity, that creative itch, the like the part of the creative process where you're like really exploring this, this blue sky. It could be anything. I think that's probably where I draw like my strength from mm. is I'll stay up late and for those reasons. And again, when I'm staying up late and I'm working hard on something, it does tend to be better. Yeah. If you wouldn't have gone into like motion design and animation, what do you think you would have ended up doing? I have no idea. <laughs> really? I've been doing this so long. I don't know what I would have done. And it all happened so kind of happenstance. You know what I mean? It was like, I rolled the dice. Okay, now I'm in New York. 
roll the dice again. Now I'm in San Francisco, roll the dice again. I couldn't have guessed that I would be where I am today doing what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like a question that I have like a really good answer for. Well, I guess, you know, to that end, what do you want the next chapter of your story to look like? I mean, I think I want to continue doing the thing that came to collab to do wherever it is. I want to keep bringing these two halves of my career together. So how can I use design and animation to entertain people? And also, how can I use design and animation to make people's experience better, to make their experience of a product better? And I want to keep kind of jamming those two things together and then put a layer on top of I want to use design and animation to help businesses achieve their goals, mm. right? So all three of those things, I want to just get much better at doing those things, those three things. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, about your work and everything? Where can they find that online? I'm the worst with social media, so I'm not really <laughs> on, I'm not really on Instagram or Twitter or X or whatever. Our work is at collabgroup.com. That's where our work is. You know, we're, we're actually probably going to start releasing some, some thought leadership pieces, just some things we talk about internally that we want to put out there. So you'll be able to hear my voice do that. I, I used to have a website. I used to have a portfolio on a reel. I took it down because it got kind of old. I was like, man, I don't like this working more. So mm-hmm. I don't really have a personal site. But yeah, I say, I would say collab group and the work that's there. The things that you see on that that site is probably the best representation of me on the internet right now. All right. Sounds good. Well, Salih Abdul Kareem, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, the work that you've done with creating Lottie, like I said, it's had such a huge reach just in terms of how many people use it. I think there are people that are sort of the benefactors of your work that have no idea that you were sort of the person behind it, you know, but I really love what you had to say about like the big takeaway. Cause I asked you this before we recorded is like, what do you want the takeaway to be? And it's like, you don't have to know what you're doing. And I think the cosmic happenstance of this episode happening at like the end of this year, potentially the end of this podcast is such a profound mm-hmm. way to sort of close things out because the main thing that I've always wanted to accomplish the revision path is that, you know, there's more than one way to get to be a creative. There's more than one way to do this. And like, you mm-hmm. may not know what that is. And so maybe the stories of all these people can give you some insight as to what that thing might be, you know? So I really like that that has been sort of a guiding force throughout your career and throughout your life. And I'll be excited to see you bring those two halves of your career together in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No, thank you, Maurice. And thank you for doing all these episodes and putting this together. You know, I think you're doing something really special. And we're releasing this episode on Christmas. So it's my gift to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of corny, but. (laughs) (laughs) Pour a little rum in it for me. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Big, big thanks to Salih Abdul-Karim, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Salih and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. 
Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts, BFA Design, and BFA Advertising programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please let us know. For now, we're on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, although we will be putting both of those on hiatus starting in the new year. But you could follow us on Spotify, you could follow us on Amazon Music, or you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.